Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster and it's certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, editor of the Times Opinion Pages, and this week I'm joined by two regular Times columnists, Matthew Paris and Alice Thompson, and also first time for this podcast, our business editor, Ian King. I found, as I get older, I'm not feeling more mellow about the class system. I think it's poison. And the older I get, the more poisonous I see that it is. And I think it's unfair on most of my countrymen. That's why I wrote what I did about breaking down the walls of private education. My column was really as much about class as it was about education. Cutting benefits for families if they have more than two children is the wrong policy for the right reasons. Yes, we need to cut the benefit bill. No, large families are not the right target. As our population ages, we need more young people working to pay the nation's bills. Children from larger families tend to be thinner, healthier and more productive, and they shouldn't be (laughs) penalised. Spain and Italy have both emerged from recession, Ireland has exited the EU's bailout package and the German economy is expanding at a steady pace. But we should not get carried away about the Eurozone. The recovery is exceptionally sluggish and there are still many ways in which the Eurozone crisis could flare up again. So those are our topics for today. We begin with uh, you, Matthew Parrish. You wrote an article in Saturday's newspaper, which called for a massive opening up of the private education system and a sort of new compulsory conservative policy that would pay for 25% of places to go to people who probably couldn't afford private education, but would uh, restart social mobility in this country. It got a huge reaction, not least in the letters page of Tuesday's Times. And one person, Bethan Waite, wrote... This will not result in a more meritocratic society. All this will do is create a slightly larger elite. 
both the responses uh, that uh, were critical in the Times were really on a different agenda from mine. They, they were talking about education and ability. One of those correspondents thought that we should do more to help children of low ability. Another correspondent thought that all I would be doing was um, creating a, a new meritocratic elite. It is true that the state system, that the categories the state system particularly fails are the least bright and the most bright. But I was not so much interested in, in bringing up the, the educationally ungifted as in making sure that intelligent people who have not come from posh backgrounds and whose parents can't send them, uh, to, can't afford to send them to, to public schools, should have access to the, the very best education. And not just the best education in terms of uh, academic excellence, but also in terms of the, the polish and the self-confidence that a private education can give people. So, so what Alice Thompson Matthews is recommending is the assisted places scheme that existed in the Thatcher and Major years that was abolished by Tony Blair. He wants that in a sort of supercharged form. Yes. Um, are you, are you sympathetic? I am, because I think the assisted places scheme was a fantastic scheme. The only problem is only 7% of children are going to these private schools, so it's a tiny, tiny proportion that you're going to actually help. The amount of those, even if it's a quarter of those getting assisted places, it's 2% of the population. Actually, then that's not going to be nearly enough. And if you want to change the whole class system, 2% is not going to make much difference. You know, you'll get a few more judges and you might get a few more barristers, a few more journalists, columnists maybe. But that 2% isn't really enough. What we've got to do is open the whole system up. And if you were doing it more, you could even do a voucher system. But you, you need to do something that's even more radical. If you want to do that, you need to set up more private schools. It's just got to be on a much bigger scale if you're going to do it properly. Because Ian King, you're probably one of these exceptions. You, I think, went to part school in Barnstable and um, not a private school by any means. Um, and the echelons at the top of British society are not open. They're not meritocratic in that sense, are they? We are still a society dominated by people from private sector privileged backgrounds. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, as you say, I went to a comprehensive school. Um, very, very few of the uh, people I went to school with have have uh, got went on to university most of them uh, went into jobs when they left school at 16 um, I'm entirely in uh, accord with Matthew about breaking down class barriers and uh, there are there are an awful lot of obstacles that are put in the way of, of bright working class kids uh, and indeed kids from uh, from middle class families as well I agree with Alice to be honest I think the, the, the system needs to we, need, we do need something more radical I, I, I'd support a voucher scheme I think um, that's very brave I think Matthew's uh, proposal is, is all well and good but it's only going to involve a tiny number of people and frankly I think there's also a question what, why as a taxpayer should we pay our money towards uh, you know keeping private schools in business you know th th this seems a way of dancing around uh, the issue of grammar schools for example which again is uh, you know very very would be very very popular amongst a lot of people Matthew you you hinted in your article that actually we perhaps should reintroduce academic selection are you sympathetic to what Ian yes, says yes, about I grammar am. schools I I, th I think it's pr pretty crazy the prohibition and state education of ever selecting on uh, on ability uh, I think I think that will come in the end, uh, and I, I think that what I was proposing is actually a step on the way towards a voucher system. And we would expand the private sector if uh, state-funded pupils went to private sector schools. It would it would open up a new market. I wouldn't underestimate the ability 
of, of the the upper classes, the establishment, to find ways of excluding those who are not of their own. If you ever ever seen two public school boys sniff each other out as public school boys, you know, meeting <laughs> what, at the party, what a picture! <laughs> it's like they're like like cats. You often wonder how does a cat know that that other animal is another cat? They just know straight away. And public school boys, within about ten seconds of starting a conversation, just know straight away that, that there are these. Invisible webs of advantage in Britain that I think we've just got to tear aside. Alice Thompson, you can do it because in Germany, I was educated there for a bit when almost everyone goes to this, similar to a grammar school or to they have the technical schools. And if you went to a private school, you were going there because there was you know you were academically unable or you had some sort of learning difficulty, and it was seen as something that was slightly、mm. embarrassing. And you could do that, and that's what if the grammar schools had continued in Britain, I do feel to a certain extent it would have become slightly embarrassing to go to some of these private schools. What you would have wanted your child to do is go to either a very good technical school or a good grammar school. And technical. Uh, schools,、uh, Ian King, that Alice have just mentioned, isn't that from your perspective, looking at British business, isn't that the big gap though for the British education system? We just aren't producing the energy engineers, the mathematicians, those people with the technical skills that our future industries need. Yes, that's absolutely right, and that isn't just a, a challenge, frankly, that we face at the uh, at, at school level.、Uh, it, it goes on into tertiary education and. Obviously, one of the the great changes in in education during the last two decades has been the widening of of tertiary education. So that I mean, it was a, it was a target of Tony Blair's to get half of the population into university. If you compare that with, for example, Switzerland,、uh, where only a handful of a very very small proportion of of students actually go on to tertiary education, but what they have,、uh, is, as Alice says. Are more technical schools. There's much more vocational training, and as a result, you you have a workforce that's far better equipped for the world of work and producing the kind of people that employers want to employ. And I wonder, Matthew, because I know you believe in the Ken Baker University Technical College model. I wonder, actually, you began your article by saying for the Conservatives to prove that they are a party that. Is there for everyone? Actually, it might be the UTC model rather than the model idea you proposed on Saturday that actually might be more of the well, long-term blockbuster idea. Bloom really, but the UT, <laughs> UTCs are an absolutely brilliant idea and must be expanded. And the, the one I went to, the JCB Academy in Staffordshire, they were having twice as many applicants for places as they had places. They were not allowed to select、uh, academically because state schools aren't. And so they just did it by ballot, and they were finding even with the ballot they were still getting mostly、um, pupils who were suitable for the, that kind of education because they wouldn't have applied if they hadn't thought they could do it. Well, we must move on to our、um, second topic, which is the one you nominated for us, Alice Thompson, and this was off the back of an article that the Tory MP Nadim Zahawi wrote in the Mail on Sunday, and he argued that there is a huge amount of money to be saved. If the benefit system doesn't pay families to have children beyond two children, and、uh, his view was that、uh, wealthier middle class, if you like, families don't have children until they can afford it, and he wanted the welfare state to send out the message that yes, we will provide a safety net, but you have to act responsibly、um, in return. And his view was that this was a way of delivering that responsibility. You don't agree with him. No, well, initially it seems a very good idea because you think, actually, if you are middle class, you do struggle, and you think, I, I, you know, we'll wait until we can afford it to have one child. You then think again about having the second child. You know, a lot of people don't. We've dropped dramatically the amount of children, people who are having three children or more. 
it's gone down to sort of 10%. So people are having much smaller families, partly because of the recession. And then you get this other side, which is very much highlighted by the Daily Mail of people with 10, 14, 15 children like Philpott uh, earlier this year. And it becomes a huge issue, this idea that if you haven't got any money, you can just breed recklessly. But when you actually look at how you would do it, it would be almost impossible to do. And it, there is just something very un-British about it and very wrong. You would, I would feel very strongly that actually you would end up probably having people having more abortions, which I think would be wrong. I think it's very difficult what you do with triplets, what you do with, you know, a father who has six different wives, you know, six different girlfriends, how many children is he allowed? It, it's just too complicated to do. And also it's very unfair on the child of a large family. And then you've got even more so, the idea that we do need more children in the end. The children are the ones that are going to solve the problem of the pensions. They are going to bring on the next generation. And actually, it is healthier to be in a slightly larger family. I, I like your observation. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. I like your observation that um, large families tend to have thinner. I mean, it may just be they haven't got enough to eat. <laughs> well, I think, Matthew, you're the obvious example because you come from a family about six or seven, do you? Six, yes, and we so, are. And you're the eldest, so you've got slightly more to eat. So you're probably the largest and you're still very thin. But it is when all the research shows that actually if you have more than one child, they do tend to be healthier probably because they aren't overfed and they tend to be quite competitive and they don't, you know, they don't tend to be a drain on the state. And funnily, actually, if you look at the statistics as well, the people having 10 or more children is absolutely tiny. Only yes. 200 families on benefits had more than eight children. I think they've all featured in the Daily exactly. Mail by now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so um, it's a sort of myth that, that we are producing these vast, vast mm, families yeah. that we're having to look after. Ian King, father of three, is that yes. correct? What do you think of this uh, policy? Well, we're not China, are we? I mean, how, how, can we, how, can, how can the state possibly have the right to regulate the number of uh, children that, that a couple have uh, it's, it's complete nonsense uh, yes as Alice says there is a compact between families and the state if you're going to uh, if you're going to claim benefits but I, I don't think that 
it necessarily fosters irresponsible behaviour. Yes, we have our pantomime demons like, like Mick Philpot, but they are a very, very small number of people indeed. And, and the choice really is that we, Europe at the moment, one of the problems, we'll come on to your subject of Europe in a few minutes, but Europe is a country where a huge demographic challenge of a falling yeah. population, a falling working population, able to sustain an ageing population. And we really have two choices. We either have more immigration or we encourage more children to be born in our own countries. And I should imagine a lot of the people who want a welfare crackdown, don't want to pay the benefits to these large families, are also the same people who do not want immigration. Exactly, and the other alternative, by the way, is for uh, people to work until they're uh, well into their 70s. Yeah. And well, that seems to be how proposed of, anyway. That's going to happen anyway, yeah. yes. Uh, no, a, a lot of countries would, would absolutely give their right arm for uh, the, the supposed problems that we have. Um, population replacement in countries like Italy and Germany. I mean, Germany, on current projections, will uh, be overtaken by Britain in population terms some way through this century. Countries like Japan, the population has been shrinking for the best part of two decades. Russia, uh, the population is absolutely collapsing there, mainly because they've got all sorts of health problems and they can't stop smoking and drinking. And uh, Putin is now going out of his way to incentivise people to have more children. Mm. So it's it's a high-class problem, as, as we say. Anyway, from the, point of view, Paris. from the point of view of fairness... Benefits are presumably for people who uh, need assistance. The larger the family, the more likely they are to need assistance. You, you can't cut off the benefits at the point when they begin to need help. So fi final word to you, Alice, on your topic. We've, uh, you've got universal agreement, at least in this studio, that this is not a sensible idea. But at some point, George Osborne, who's ever chancellor after the next election, is going to have to make big new savings. The work of deficit reduction still has a long way to go. Is it going to have to be pensions? Is, it, is that really what the, the area of the budget that has to be cut? Because well, we, some, some areas, tough decisions are necessary. They are, I mean, they've looked at under 25s, they've looked at you know, housing, they've looked at pensions. I think in the end, particularly with this report today coming out saying that it's, you know, children aren't doing as well as their parents did. This is the Institute for Fiscal yes, Studies report on Tuesday. Yeah. I think that that's going to make people feel more and more that maybe the elderly are going to have to help out and are going to have to do more and that we can't actually take the money off children or off, you know, under 25s. And, and I, think, I think it will change. I think people will feel more and more strongly that it's got to be the elderly that help out too now. Well, just before we go on to our third topic, a message for those who do subscribe to The Times. All of the articles that we are discussing in this podcast, if you want to read them, go to thetimes.co.uk slash commentcentral and we will list links there to the pieces, including Matthew's article on private education and Alice's uh, article in Wednesday's Times on the size of families. Third and final topic um, is your nominated topic, Ian King. And there are some better signs in the Eurozone than there were, but unemployment across the Eurozone remains incredibly high. Uh, France in particular seems to be in danger of actually falling back into recession. Your warning is that even if there are signs of recovery, it's still very tentative. And although we may be bored with the Eurozone problem, it really hasn't gone away and will be featuring a lot in 2014. That's absolutely right. The markets have had a, a pretty good year in uh, 2013. The, you know, the FTSE 100 has been on a tear, Wall Street's been on a tear. And it all comes down to the fact that Mario Draghi, the uh, president of the European Central Bank, late in 2012, he said, we will do whatever it takes to... Uh, 
save the euro. He unveiled a number of uh, policies to uh, to back that up, and by and large, the markets have bought it, and that that gave t- that created time. It's enabled eurozone economies to haul themselves out of the mire in some cases, and we've seen some really good news. Ireland, for example, has just uh, exited bailout. Portugal is due to do so next year. Things have stopped getting worse in Greece. Uh, Spain and Italy have pulled out of recession, but there are real bumps in the road ahead, and. Frankly, I think Italy is one. I mean, if you talk to uh, business people, it- Italy is uh, a-, a huge cause of nervousness. The uh, the politics there are so dysfunctional that they haven't uh, undergone the kind of structural reforms to their economy that one needs to uh, permanently improve their competitiveness in a way, for example, that Ireland and Spain both have. I mean, Ireland is obviously the poster child for the Eurozone in terms of how to come out of uh, austerity or or how to impose austerity. Spain, again, they've done really a, a fantastic job in terms of improving their competitiveness. You haven't seen that in Italy, and and you certainly haven't seen it in France. And this is frankly the real cause for concern. Uh, the French economy contracted during the third quarter. The Purchasing Managers Index survey data, which is the, a forward indicator of uh, economic activity for the last two months, has shown uh, activity in France contracting. There is a very real danger that, I mean, most people have uh, France forecast uh, GDP growth of 0.2, in the final quarter of the year. There is a real danger that you're going to get a negative number and France is back in recession. The, the politics of this, Matthew Paris, are quite interesting in terms of Britain, really, aren't they? Because when Francois Hollande was first elected as French president, Ed Miliband shot off to Paris. He was the first international leader to, to meet him. And he was presented by the Labour leader as some sort of model, the alternative to austerity. Well, from the Tory point of view, that's a comparison they're very happy to, ma- to make now. Yes, I, I, I don't think socialism is, is, uh, is producing conspicuously good results in in Europe. But I I think the argument is about bigger than left-right. It is just uh, about economic competitiveness. The one I worry about is um, is Spain. I know I bang on about Catalan separatism, but the the truth... Just once or twice, I think I might have heard you. But but Spain has form in in producing sudden, violent and unexpected spasms. And uh, Spain is not sufficient... The integrity of the Spanish state is not sufficiently firm, not sufficiently coherent uh, to be at all confident that Catalonia might not just suddenly spin off and then the whole thing would fall apart. And Ian King, you say that things are improving uh, in certain countries, but the social cost in terms of unemployment has been enormous, particularly amongst young people. And at the moment, electorates have largely put up with it, perhaps because they Mm. thought that corner was about to be turned but if there's still it does seem in these countries some way to go before normality returns it's not just catalonia breaking off from spain you know we could see more social unrest of the kind that we first saw in greece we could indeed danger we could indeed but as matthew says it all comes down to competitiveness uh if you look at the uk for example where we've we've undergone we haven't we haven't actually got undergone drastic austerity on uh, to the extent that some of uh, our, our eurozone uh, friends have 
But unemployment in the UK is the dog that hasn't barked. Unemployment has has stayed relatively stable at just north of 7%. If you look at Germany, they have approximately the same levels of, of joblessness there. And of course, that comes down to the fact that Gerhard Schroeder in the early uh, part of the last decade introduced a, a, a huge overhaul of the welfare state in Germany. Uh, he, he reduced jobless benefits. He, he created incentives for employers to create jobs. And he also shook up the uh, the job centres in Germany so that they they fought a lot harder to get people back mm. into work. So unemployment doesn't necessarily have to uh, to be to be a cancer. Um, Germany and the UK have both shown how it does. But as Matthew says, it all comes down to competitiveness. I'm not sure the new grand coalition in Germany is going to live up to Schroeder's reforming agenda, unfortunately. But um, uh, Alice, final word for you in this week's podcast. Um, I, what interests me is France because it's always been our greatest enemy and we have that very bizarre relationship and you can see in number 10 that at the beginning there was a sense of sort of schadenfreude of it. everyone was rather pleased that France has been going wrong and you can see in the treasury there's a sense of oh well we got it right and Holland was a complete disaster and yet now they're really raining back they don't talk about France at all they're really nervous about it George Osborne doesn't say oh look what we did we've got it right you've got it wrong and he's a natural competitive <laughs> type person but he is really seriously worried I think about what is going on in France more than the other countries and I think it is very difficult because you know we've also got an influx of French people coming here and actually at the beginning you know as David Cameron said you know we're nicking everybody mm. but actually now it's becoming a massive problem I think we can't prosper if our nearest yeah, we need, neighbours we do need our nearest neighbours and we always have needed them and there's always been this dual sort of relationship that we've had to have well I fear we may be returning during 2014 to Eurozone crisis and the problems of our neighbours but that's all we have time for uh, today. Can I thank uh, my guests, Alice Thompson, Matthew Paris and Ian King, and also Dave McGuire, who is producer of this podcast. Most of all, thank you for listening and do go to iTunes, please search for Did You Read and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss out on an episode. Thanks very much for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>